welcome back to my channel and to the world of spirits. We're now on the letter K. This one's a bit of a mouthful, so um, I'm just going to do the best I can. It's the Ka'ahupahau, and its origin is Hawaii. Ka'ahupahau is its other name as well, so it has two versions of its name, and it's the queen shark. So it's a shark goddess who protects people from sharks. Her empathy for people may derive from her own human ancestry. Kahahunda brother, Kahi Iuka, were born red-headed humans. In traditional Hawaiian cosmology, their red hair indicates spirit ancestry or connections to Pele in the most famous red-headed Hawaiian spirit. Another shark deity transformed the sister and brother into sharks, but they still maintain allegiance and warm feelings towards humans. So the most sharks, they don't have warm feelings towards us, but they don't exactly hate us, you know. Most sharks don't attack humans, it's just they get bad reputations when they maybe do, you know, there's one shark bite or whatever. And they say, oh, so many sharks kill so many humans a year. Maybe that's true, but at the end of the day, we're in their domain. That's their home, the dinosaurs. So I really hate how sharks get a bad reputation for that, it's... It's not really fair, is it? You know, it's their home, not ours. Kahahu guards the entrance to Pearl Harbor, sending menacing sharks on their way. She's often guardian spirit of the Oahu, and specifically Ua Beach. Pearl Harbor's name is no romantic affectation. Until the late 19th century, it was full of oyster ponds, providing sustenance and occasional pearls. For the local population, the ability to access the oyster beds without the undue fear of sharks was crucial. In 1884, a treaty allowed the United States exclusive rights and access to Pearl Harbor. In 1913, dry docks, then under construction but almost done, completely collapsed. No scientific explanation or natural causes were ever found for the accident, despite an extensive one-year investigation. Explanations by local people was that the dry docks were blocking Kahahu access to her undersea cave and that she had caused the collapse were dismissed as superstition. However, the dry docks were finally completed in April 1919, only after a kahuna, traditional Hawaiian priest or shaman, performed rituals of appropriation to the shark goddess. Invoke Kahapahu's blessing if you're afraid of sharks. She manifests as a woman with a red hair, a shark or a mermaid. She lives in <clears throat> a submerged cave in Pearl Harbour. Offerings are food, flowers and shark toys. She's very different. The next one is Kachina. Now, Kachina is sometimes pronounced as Kachina or Kachina um, because it's K-A-C-H-I-N-A and it depends which area of people you're speaking to on the pronunciation. Pueblo Indian. 
The casinos are benevolent spirits of the Pueblo people of the southwestern United States. They're mediators, messengers from other realms. They bring rain, clouds, moisture and blessings in a dry habitat, where survival is dependent on adequate, obviously, of these things. Kachinas um, ensure plant, animal and human fertility. In English, Kachina is also commonly used to refer to dolls created in the image of Kachina spirits or the mass dancers who channel them. In Indian languages, distinct words may be used to distinguish the dolls from the spirits. Although crafted by human hands from the traditional Native American perspective, these dolls are gifts from the spirits. Many modern Kachina or Kachina dolls However, our crafters specifically for the tourist trade and for collectors who value them for their intricacy, beauty and monetary worth as investment art. Kachinas are among the most commodified of spirits. Their images used to market products with a southwestern theme, including things like potato chips, soft drinks and snack foods, much to the displeasure and despair of those for whom <clears throat> are the holy. Archaeological evidence links Kachinas to all the Pueblo peoples, including Hopi, Zunis, and the various Rio Grande Pueblos. Although each may possess different pantheons of the Kachinas, and that's why there's different names of them. Kachina spirits live among people from approximately the winter solstice to late July when they return to their own realm. The Kachinas taught people how to make masks, depicting them and transmitting their power and how to channel them through rituals including dance. Masked ritual initiation men are able to transmit the blessings of Kachinas to people, heal illness, reinforce order, deliver prophecies, bring rain and serve as shamanic bridges between people and the spirits. There are hundreds of distinct Kachina spirits, each with its own distinct identity, function and appearance. There's no single consistent number of Kachinas. This is a living tradition. New Kachinas appear and old ones fade from view, sometimes reappearing decades later. How they manifest is, is one of much debate. Kachina rituals occur privately within subterranean kivas at night, especially from January to March. Also outdoors in Pueblo plazas, during the daytime, especially from March to July. Some ceremonies are open to outsiders, others are not. Websites belonging to the various Pueblos will advise. And the next one is Kadesh, Lady of Heaven, the Holy One, also known as Kwadesh. Origin is Levantine. Kadesh is the Holy Whore, the Scarlet Woman, the Lady of Pleasure. Her name literally means holy or sanctified. She is a spirit of power, beauty, joy, ecstasy and sexual pleasure. She is from the Levantine, the Semitic coast of West Asia, encompassing Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews and Canaanites. It's unknown from which of these groups she originates, but she was venerated by all of them, as well as by ancient Egyptians who recognised her as a foreign Semitic spirit and adored her anyway. The Egyptians did not adopt many spirits, generally preferring their own. Terracotta figurines and plaques identified as Kadesh have been dated as far back as the Middle Bronze Age, 2000 to 1500 BCE. 
Little is now known of her veneration, other than that sacred prostitution was among her temple rites. Kadesh was depicted as a naked woman, sometimes pregnant, sometimes not. She's attributed to stalks of wheat, lilies, snakes. She may stand atop a lion and wear the crescent moon in her hair. Her consort is her chef. Her sacred animals are lions and snakes. Her plants are lotus, the papyrus plants, lilies and wheat. Her planet is a crescent moon, which is interesting because that's actually a phase of the moon, though it's classed as her actual planet. Offerings, lilies, stalks of wheat, aphrodisiacs, especially erotic perfumes and incense, spring water, candles in the form of genitals, images of snakes and lions. Hmm. The next spirit is Kadru from India. Kadru is the mother of Nagas. She has over 1,000 powerful snake spirit offspring. A primary myth involves a competition with her co-wife, Garuda's mother. Kadru may be venerated with her children or alone. She is invoked for fertility and wealth, as well as protection from snakes. Do not venerate her together with Garuda. It won't work. The next one is actually, well, to be fair, she shares two names. But we're going with the name that begins with K, which is Kahlo. But her other name is Frida. Mexico. Frida Kahlo. 6th of July, 1907 to the 13th of July, 1954. Has transcended her status as beloved painter, mythic figure and political activist. She's now literally an icon too. Her ambiguous image is instantly recognisable. Even those who don't really know who she is recognise her images, which appear everywhere from t-shirts, jewellery, Mexican restaurant menus and sacred items. Kahlo created icons. She was her own favourite subject. She created images of herself depicting her stark reality, the pain, grief and humiliation of her everyday existence. Child of polio permanently damaged one leg. An horrific accident shattered her body, necessitating over 30 operations and hampering her fertility. Her love life was traumatic. One leg was eventually amputated. <clears throat> she also created images of herself as a goddess, the primordial lady of beasts, women of bravery, defiance and endless creativity. Although life seems almost laughable now, not that long ago, Frida was an obscure historic figure, overshadowed by her then more famous husband, artist Diego Rivera. Her popularity and renown exploded in the 1970s, theoretically because she was reappraised in the context of feminist and Mexican pride political movements, but possibly just because her time had come. Frida's own act, a self-created image, served as a portal of her powerful spirit. A March 2nd, 2008 New York Times review of a retrospective show at the Philadelphia Museum of Art used the word saint to describe her and described the crowds who flock to her home, now a museum, as pilgrims. Frida is the subject of books, films, web tributes and museum shows. She's become symbolic of her beloved Mexico, female empowerment and bold, transcendent creativity. Once known in small circles, she's now familiar worldwide. The centennial of her birth was celebrated internationally. From icon to folk saint or goddess is but one small step. 
Her image now appears in spiritual context as well as in creative and commercial images of Frida are incorporated into retablos, nichos, votive candles and statues suitable for home altars. Many images incorporate powerful spiritual overtones. Hmm. Find images of Frida and reson that resonate with you. Decorate with reproductions of her artwork and traditional Mexican folk, folk art. Add figures of animals she loves so much like dogs, deer, monkeys, parrots and others. She does have a few shrines as well. Offerings are cigarettes, tequila, sugar skulls with her name written across the forehead. Works of art, cooker meals from Frida's Fiestas. That's a 1994 cookbook compiled by her stepdaughter. But that's interesting. <laughs> the next one is everybody should know this one. It's Kali. Kali Ma. India, obviously, is the origin. Kali is India's great mother goddess of time, creation, destruction, and contradictions. Kali was a tribal goddess prior to the Aryan invasions, which brought Vedic traditions and Hinduism to India. Her veneration was so persistent, enduring the significant that she was eventually incorporated into the Hindu pantheon as one of its most powerful deities. According to myth, when all the other deities were stimmed by a demon, Kali emerged as an independent emanation of the goddess Durga. Kali is an unstoppable force. She handily defeated that demon, but was then unable to stop her whirling dance of destruction. The entire world would have been destroyed had not Shiva, her beloved, thrown himself at her feet, risking his own death, but snapping her out of a rampage. Kali births and destroys her children. She is a core mother who simultaneously grinds out life and death. Her name may be interpreted as having to do with time, but it literally means black as in Earth's fertile black soil, or as in black holes. Those regions of space ooze gravitational pull is so intense that nothing can escape. Reputedly the most difficult of all spirits to understand. Kali's devotees claim that attempts to comprehend her will free you of all fear. A stereotype depicts her as a scary, bloodthirsty, out-of-control demon. She was notorious as a spirit venerated by the now infamous thuggies, secret fraternities of thieves, who may have strangled victims in her honour. However, thuggies were always but a tiny minority of her following. Sensationalised descriptions of Kali tend to overlook the tremendous blessings she brings, bestowing protection, good health, abundance and fertility on her devotees. Kali is amongst, amongst the most widely venerated spirits on earth, worshipped by millions of Hindus as well as many others including unofficially many Indian Muslims. She's also venerated by independent practitioners and goddess devotees worldwide. The Indian diaspora brought Kali to the Caribbean, where she is also now incorporated into the Obia traditions. Fiercest of fierce, Kali backs away from nothing. To fully appreciate joy in life, suffering and death must be faced. Kali is responsible for life from conception to the grave. She maintains world order. Kali protects the helpless, particularly women and children. She is the matron of witches. Her attendant spirits are Dakinis. Kali is the chief of Dakini and is sometimes called Dakini. Kali is not a remote deity, 
but has intense personal relationships with individual devotees. Kelly appears frequently in dreams and visualizations, and it also she is also channeled by spirit mediums. She may offer instruction in yoga or various mystic, esoteric arts. A favored people or folk tradition suggests that people with pointy tongues have been touched or called by Kali may consider themselves under her sponsorship and protection. Sometimes Kali's appearance is consistent to an iconography. She has jet black or midnight blue skin and a fierce or loving expression. Her hair may be, well it may form 100 locks. She may dance or twirl. Kali is described as appearing in the form of a brilliant light or a deep black void. She may manifest in the form of a cholera or a jackal-headed woman. Her images are usually terrifying, though. She has, like, dishevelled hair and a tongue sticks out. She's dripping with blood and she has a girdle of severed human hands and her earrings are children's corpses. Don't mind any attention to that, by the way, because it's, it's not, um, not accurate. Kali is frequently depicted together with her beloved Shiva. Typically, she stands upon his prone body, or they are shown in sexual union. One famous image shows Kali squatting over Shiva's prone body, devouring his entrails while simultaneously offering him her breast. The, she's attributed to mirrors, black cauldron, a chalice containing blood from a head she had severed, and she may drink from a skull. A consort is obviously Shiva. Her colours are black, red, midnight blue and purple. Her sacred creatures are the crow and the jackal. Her flowers are the red hibiscus and the red rhododendron. Poyin Setia. Her planet is the moon, but especially the dark and the waning. Kali lives in cemeteries and cremation grounds. Offerings should be red hibiscus flowers. A jaggery, a form of unrefined sugar also. And Kali has many paths as well. Um, I have tarot cards actually that are the actually Kali tarot cards. They're interesting. The next is Kalu Kumara, the Black Prince, also known as Kalu Yaka. She the origin is Sinhalese, but it's now Sri Lanka. Kalu Kumara is the demonic eros, a disease demon whose favourite target is young girls on the threshold of womanhood, although he will also strike older women and sometimes infants and children. He attacks through dreams, so pleasurable that her, his victims may not appreciate that they are being attacked or may not care. Kalokamara manifests to women via ecstatic erotic dreams. His target may wish never to wake up from the beautiful rapture. Wherein is the problem? Kalokamara is a vampire. He doesn't suck blood, nor is he frightening, unless he wishes to be, but he's draining his victim's life essence. His attacks are accompanied by malaise, wasting anorexia, not because she was worried about weight or appearance, but because the victim can't bother to eat. She lacks appetite. The diet, she has a desire to sleep all the time, in hopes of once again receiving a visit. Without shamanic intervention, Kalokomura's dreams may ultimately lead to serious illness and even death. Various protective measures are used to control and repel Kalu Kamara. If dream attacks occur, a specially trained shaman can drive him out and prevent his return. Kalu Kamara may be an em 
bittered spirit. His name literally means Black Prince. Is royalty and was a significant deity prior to the Sinhalese conversion to Buddhism. Once upon a time, he didn't have to invade dreams. Devotees came to him. Offerings are sometimes made to appropriate him and prevent him from manifesting dangerously. He can sometimes manifest benevolently and has the power to heal illness as well as cause it. If he desires, he can bestow fertility rather than death. Kalokumira's assistants are spirits known as the Seven Baron Queens, who transmit infertility to women. Kalokumura may be especially dreaded because where he goes, the Seven Baron Queens tend to follow. They may target women other than Kalokumura's own specific victim. So they can basically come through and um, do their own thing. They don't have to do what he's doing. The next spirit is Calvis, also known as the Calvetis and Calvelis. The origin is Lithuanian, Latvian, Baltic. Calvetis, the celestial smith, lives by the water's edge at the end of the world, where he hammers out a new sun every morning. In 1431, the missionary Jerome of Prague complained that the Lithuanians not only worshipped the sun, but also had an exceptional large iron hammer which helped rescue the sun from imprisonment among the sacred treasures forged by Cavalese is Osrin's crown and the attributes to the spirit is a humongous hammer and that's really all that's known about that spirit but as you can probably guess when they are that old it's it's really hard to find anything on them that you can pinpoint I suppose and it doesn't look like they will you know it was a spirit that was worshipped in any way um no so the next is Kangi Ten also known as just Kangi two elephants locked in erotic embrace that's the magical image of the Kangi Ten Kangi Ten names a pair of elephant spirits and the specific iconographic if image used to represent them Kagiten is known elsewhere, but is particularly popular in Japan. Veneration of the image unlocks Kagiten's many blessings like, blessings like happiness, health, good fortune, material wealth, as well as supernatural and erotic prowess. Also petitioned to avert and eliminate crises and disasters. So, you can call on her for pretty much anything, or them, or whatever they are. Like I said, there's not that much information about them, but I'm I'm not going to do Kappa, guys, because we did Kappa, because Kappa's actually a fairy, um, and it's in the fairy section, and it's one of those beings that's a very weird-looking thing, to be honest. Um, if I ever saw it, it would probably, I'd probably be pretty scared, because <laughs> it's just weird. The next is Kel Asuf, the people of solitude. Um, the Tuareg. So the Tuareg are traditionally nomadic African people who until the mid-20th century and the advent of aeroplanes and automobiles control the Sahara's salt roads and caravan routes. The Tuareg began to be converted to Islam in the 16th century. However, strong traditional spiritual elements survived and remain vital. In recent years, many of the Tuareg have been forced into sedentary existence 
but previously they roamed the vast Sahara and Sahel. No one knew the mysteries of the desert better. The Kelasuf spirits of solitude are among those mysteries. Solitude may be understood to mean remote, distant from human habitation, a cinnamon for desolation. Kelasuf are spirits of the bush, spirits who dwell beyond human thresholds. They linger near people but remain independent. They will not adjust for civilization. They will not submit to Islam or otherwise be co-opted. They are pre-Islamic spirits who refuse to be abandoned or forgotten. Appropriate them, make them into allies, or get sick and die. The solitude is also the Tuareg euphemism for spirit possession. The Kel Asuf are spirits who possess, but through ritual these spirits are transformed from debilitating illnesses into helpers and guardians. Kel Asuf possessions doesn't resemble the exorcist or an exorcism. There's no spinning heads of vomiting pea soup. Instead, it manifests as illness. Western society might not recognise symptoms of the Kel'asuf possession. The afflicted person might just be sent for endless medical testing, and no physical cause for their ailment is ever found. Signs indicating possession of a um, Kel'asuf, or maybe though it's just interested in you, include depression, loss of appetite, red eyes with no apparent physical cause, and loss of faculty of speech. It's also characterised by intense cravings for beautiful aromas like perfume and incense. Kel as stuff like Tsar spirits are generally, though not always, manifest in gradual wasting illnesses or opposed to sudden severe strikes that are characteristic of many jinn and sihi. Rituals to summon, celebrate and appropriate the Kel Asuf are called Tandi Ni Gaumatan Gama Thilpuro Gama is the word for the Kelasu in the Tureg language related to Berber. So I guess there's a really big um, history regarding them. Interesting though. Um, the favoured people are they prefer to maintain relationships with women, and best time is night time. The daytime, um, they're at the peak on Fridays only. In the day, now the day would matter. They do prefer wild, desolate, untamed places. They can live within people either as well parasites or guardian advisors. That all depends, obviously, on the person that they're living with and, and whether they get on with them or not. Um, there is, it depends on the person and what what they're kind of getting into and what they're doing. There's no real reasoning with them if they're already, <clears throat> you know, if they're already intent on creating illness, you can't bargain with them. You would need someone special to come in who could, I wouldn't say exercise them as such, but maybe um, lead them to be a little bit more lenient towards you and, and start being a guardian rather than attacking you. But as a general rule, if they do start attacking you, you personally can't do anything yourself you do have to get someone to come in and do it for you. The next is King of Terrors. The King of Terrors is among those spirits classified as Holy Death. Is closely related to the Grim Reaper. The King of Terrors is a skeleton bearing weapons. He may not be crowned. He's a psychopomp, but a fierce, scary one. His name says it all. He does not arrive bearing comfort or platitudes. 
The name King of Terrors derives from the book of Job, 18.14. He's torn from the security of his tent and marched before the King of Terrors. Thus the King of Terrors is traditionally depicted driving dead souls before him. His image is carved onto tombstones and as ornamental motifs of medieval churches, and most famously at Scotland's Rosaline Chapel. Attributes are the arrows, darts, the scythe and the spear. And then we go on to the kings of hell, the ten kings, or ten judges of hell. But that's Japan. The ten kings of hell are afterlife judges and they derive from Chinese Taoist tradition, a filter through Japanese Buddhism. Those who clearly lived exemplary lives travel to paradise when they die. Those who have been clearly wicked travel to a punishment realm. But what of those whose actions are more ambiguous? Those who have performed both good and bad deeds while alive? Where do they go? Well, that's for the king of hells to decide, just like Anubis does for the Egyptians. He does the exact same thing. Um, and he will decide whether you are good enough to go to heaven, or whether you should be in hell, or obviously whether you should ju just be left to sort of, I don't know, mow up the earth, let's say. Um, there's always that in-between part, isn't there? We're not going to do knockers because we did knockers already. Um, and Kobold, they are actually spirits and fairies. Um, no one knows which one they are, but the, the one or the other. So we're going to go on to Coco. The origin of Coco is Zuni. A Coco is sometimes interpreted as a cinnamon for Kachina, but it may be transla translated literally as rain people. This Zuni word is used to name a class of spirit beings. Dancers who may channel them and the mass representing the spirits, and sometimes they are worn by the dancers. The cocoa bring literal precipitation, but also rain down all kinds of blessings and prosperity. So they're good spirits, they're not bad spirits at all. Um, Kokuzo, Sanskrit, the boundless vessel. Um... Bosatsu. Kokuzo is among the great bodhisattvas, venerated for his endless store of knowledge. So it's Japanese, obviously. Technically speaking, Kokuzo Bosatsu is invoked for wisdom leading to enlightenment. However, in Japanese folk religion, Kokuzo is believed and beloved renowned for granting any wishes. He grants wishes, but also he bestows intelligence. It can be invoked to improve artisanal and technical skills. Meditating on his image is believed to improve the memory. But you can also directly petition for improved memory or wherever else you want from him, obviously. He likes artisans. He's a patron of those born in the years of the ox and the tiger is attributed to which granting dual sword with which to slice through ignorance and his directions are the north east it's different the next is the kola saniyaka also known as the kola saniya sri lanka kola saniyaka is the chief of the 18th disease causing saniyaka spirits he contains and controls them as if they were Theoretically can heal or remove any illness. A quick fix remedy involves addressing him by name 
three times and specifying the affliction you would like him to cure. If it works, lay out an offering table for him. If it doesn't, you own nothing and find another remedy. Well, that's bloody easier, isn't it? Because usually that's not what happens. <laughs> usually you have to, uh, there's some sort of payment in return and it's generally not a good payment either. It's generally something pretty bad that we don't want to do. The next is the core, the maiden, known um, or as Greece origin, but she has, a name can be spelt with a C, so it can be C-O-R-E, and it can be K-O-R-E. It's not really a name, but it's a title, usually indicating Persephone, especially in the aspect of our eternally youthful goddess of spring. Core was venerated amongst mystery tr traditions, and thus, little is really known or understood. It's possible that some paths of Kor do not refer to Persephone, but to the primordial goddess Kor. Or perhaps Persephone's roots lie in the mysterious and ancient Kor. Kor is the spirit of birth and resurrection. Veneration of Kor was integral to the Eleusinian mysteries. She was venerated amongst Gnostic mysteries too, sometimes independently of her mother Demeter. In the early centuries of the Common Era, Kor was venerated in Alexandria, a self-generating virginal mother. A festival, the Corion, celebrated by both Christian and non-Christian Gnostics, honoured the annual birth of Aeon, the divine child. Images of um, Kor with a divine child may survive amongst some black Madonnas. Her colour is black and her feast is the Corion on the 6th of January, um, but eventually it was assimilated to the Feast of the Epiphany, but as you know, everything changed through time anyway. They changed a lot of stuff, didn't they? You know, like they did with the goddesses and all that. They um, made them something that they weren't. They made them all out to be evil and demons and they're not. So the next is the Charmer, which is Krishna. And I'm sure lots of people know who Krishna is. Um, Krishna is Indian. And among the most beloved Hindu deities worshipped throughout the subcontinent and around the world, is also a great favourite of independent practitioners. Is among the widely venerated spirits of all time, Barnon. Technically, Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu, however. If so, he is a favourite form. Krishna himself is worshipped in several forms. The divine child, eternally delightful, mischievous, fun-loving and charming. Or intoxicatingly beautiful and irresistible lover, or a young cowherd who lives in an idyllic forest, but also the spiritual teacher, guide and advisor. Krishna is free, spontaneous and fearless. He is a prankster, although never evil-intentioned. Despite his sweet loving nature, he is a powerful spirit who vanquishes the fiercest, deadliest, most toxic demons. Krishna is a pivotal figure in the epic, the Mahab. Bharata. It remains a particularly energetic, active spirit, manifesting to people and appearing in dreams and visions. It is all-powerful and may be petitioned for anything. Krishna is physically beautiful, charming and charismatic. He has a sharp sense of humour, but is an incredible spiritual adept. Those who have witnessed him recently comment on his very recognisable blue skin. Krishna's skin is blue and he wears a peacock feather crown. His attributes are the flute, whose sound is compelling and enchanting, and his colour is blue. The offerings are butter and sweets.
likes butter and sweets. Didn't know that. Then again, it's not something that I've ever worked with anyway. I've never worked with Krishna. There's a really interesting one next, which is KTRT. The Swallow-like Daughters of the Crescent Moon. West Semitic, Canaan. Uh, Semitic languages traditionally have no written vowels. And so only the consonants of um, the sister goddesses survive, which is KTRT. Among the suggested pronunciations of their names are Katyarat, Kotarat and Kotharat. However, they're all guesses. The name derives from a root word indicating skill of wisdom. The KTRT are goddesses of sexual delight, conception and childbirth. They are seven in number. In the Ugarthric myth, the epic of Aquat, when a child is desired, the KTRT are feasted for seven days. By the time they depart on the seventh day, pregnancy has been achieved. In the mythic epic poem, Nikal and the Katharat, the seven sisters are summoned to provide what is necessary for the wedding and are requested for their blessings. The KTRT are reminiscent of the seven Hathas. Planet is moon especially crescent, and their sacred bird is a swallow. I've never heard of that one actually, never to me. Um, very old though, anyway, so. The next one is Kua. It's a classification of Amakua. Kua, king of Connor's shark spirits, is the important Amakua, an ancestral spirit, a gigantic red shark. Kua led the posse of sharks from Tahiti to their new home in Hawaiian waters. He had sex with a woman on the beach at Ka'u on the big island of Hawaii, believed to be where the Polynesians first landed on Hawaii. She gave birth to twins, a boy shark and a human girl, just like daddy and mummy. She placed a shark son, obviously in the water. And to this day, many descendants of her daughter have rough patches of skin resembling shark skin on their lower legs. Those possessing that physical attribute, even if not of Hawaiian descent, may possess an infinity with shark spirits. Never seen a shark spirit, I'm not going to lie. But I would like to swim with great whites. It's one of the things that I've always wanted to do. But I've never seen a shark spirit, so that's new to me. Um, We're not going to do that one because we've already done that one. Some of these are also spirits and fairies, so there's no point in doing them because... But then again, they will say some are spirits and fairies, or they'll say that some are only spirits. I mean, I think it's what you believe, you know, it's like your personal belief, really. Not... You don't have to take it as fact, it's not. It's folklore and what they really are, nobody knows, but I suppose... Whether they're a fairy or a spirit, to me, they're the same thing. The reason being is I believe fairies are spirits and spirits are fairies, you know. I believe it's us and them and that's it. Anyway, guys, that's all the keys of the spirits done and completed. So when we come back, we can move on to the L's. Thank you for listening. Please hit that like, share if you can. And if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings.